welcome once again to the Wailing Gallery podcast, where we discuss about all things art. In this episode of our podcast, we have Dr. Heather Dewey Hackborg, who is an internationally known artist, with her works being showcased in institutes all over the globe. Her controversial biopolitical art practice includes her project Stranger Visions, in which she created poetry sculptures from analysis of genetic materials such as hair, cigarette butts, and even chewed up gum that she has collected in public places around New York City. Piloting this episode will be Wailing Gallery's director, Lim Wailing herself, as she discusses with Dr. Heather Dewey Hagborg on her first solo exhibition in Malaysia called Closer Than Your Family. This is also Dr. Heather Dewey Hagborg's first ever solo exhibition in Asia. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi Heather, um, welcome to Malaysia. We're so excited and honored to have you showing with us here in our gallery in Kuala Lumpur. Um, and um, very, very um, pleased that this will be the first time that hybrid um, and closer than your family will be seen um, anywhere outside of an institutional sort of space. Maybe you could just, I don't know, give us, elaborate a little bit about, about the work and the show. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's such a pleasure to be here and so incredible to have my first visit to Malaysia ever and first time premiering this new work in Asia and first time showing it in, outside of any institution. So the, the general exhibition, Closer Than Your Family, it looks at genetics through three different lenses. Um, so the most recent work, Hybrid and Interspecies Opera, is looking at the relation between humans and non-human animals, specifically looking at engineering pigs to have human-compatible hearts, and how CRISPR gene editing technologies are being used to make pigs closer to humans. And so that's where the title comes from, is this idea that the pig, the engineered pig, might be closer to us than our family members due to this genetic engineering process. So we might be more able to take an organ from this pig that would seem to be so far away than we actually are from a family member. And so the film and the installation looks at the many millennia of human domestication of animals, of selective breeding, and then it looks at these new emerging genetic technologies and asks, is this a continuation? Or is this something really radically new? So are the new genetic technologies something really different from what was happening 10 millennia ago when we first started enclosing animals and developing agriculture, animal agriculture? Or is this, is this a continuation or is this something really different? So this is kind of the core question at the, at the center of hybrid. And we get kind of a tour of the laboratory processes involved in doing this gene editing work we meet the pigs, we meet the scientists who are doing that, doing those works. And then it ends with a kind of ritual commemoration for these animals who have given their lives for research, for science, without giving explicit permission. So the, what we see in the exhibition are three sculptures, each one of which represents a pig. And these are 3D printed in ceramic. So they're clay sculptures, but they're created through 3D printing based on 
an ancient sculpture of a boar that was 3D scanned. And so it's this ancient sculpture that's kind of brought back to life through modern technologies, through 3D printing. And then those ceramics are put back into a pit fire. So they're in a way returned back to the ancient methods. And they come out with these beautiful colors and uh, decorations from that firing process. So it's a whole kind of thing of hybridizing. So the name of the film is Hybrid. It's all about hybridizing these ancient things with these very new things and kind of asking whether these are the same, whether they're different, what the relationship is between traditional technologies and cutting edge new technologies. Okay. No, I mean, very interesting. And I think this is this idea of, of um, cutting edge technologies has been a common theme throughout your practice over the years. You know, um, I think one of your first really major works was Stranger Visions, uh, you know, which, taught, which took DNA from a stranger and effectively um, re-engineered, well, sort of re to look back on it and to figure out perhaps how this person might look um, if you were to withdraw the DNA from, from the found objects. Um, I know you've also said that a lot of what you did then has actually um, been a precursor or been sort of almost a premonition for what actually happened or transpired after that in science, in, 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 in technology. Could you maybe expand a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So around 2012, I started working with these genetic technologies and came to that through Stranger Visions. So through finding, basically picking up cigarette butts and chewing gum off the streets of New York. Yes, <laughs> yes, I remember. Taking these into a bio lab and working with scientists there to extract DNA to analyze that and then to make an educated guess about what that person might look like using kind of AI technologies, using technologies derived from facial recognition to generate faces. So hybridizing, again, hybridizing together, mm. um, kind of facial recognition, AI things with DNA technologies. And this was predicting that we would be soon seeing a new era of bioinformatics that would be this data-driven technology that would be used in a predictive way mm. to predict what someone might look like or what kind of traits they might have from their DNA and that that would be used in a forensic context, in a policing context. Yes. And so the, the original piece, Stranger Visions, was calling attention to these risks of surveillance, of policing, of this new emerging technology and kind of asking us to think a bit more about what we made of this technology, whether we want it, and then a few years later, a company launched in the United States selling this as a service to police. Mm, mm. And this was a little bit surprising to me. I thought it would take longer. Yep. It was a bit too soon yeah, because yeah. I knew <laughs> from my own work, I knew that the predictive models were not that good yet. Right. You know, right. I mean, you could make maybe an approximation, you could make a guess, but there's a lot of subjectivity involved. And someone could look many, many different ways based mm. on their DNA. You could not say with certainty, this person is going to look this way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. And so when I saw that, the, that this was being offered as a service to police, I was concerned that mm. this technology was then going to be used basically to harass people, to stereotype. And so then in my work, I started trying to call attention to some of the reduction, mm. the reductionism in these genetic profiling tools. Um, some of this kind of stereotyping that's going on mm. and to challenge that. And that led to uh, works that I did with Chelsea Manning, the yep. US whistleblower, um, using the work to show some of the limitations, for example, around gender, 
because she's transgender. Yeah. So showing multiple different gendered portraits based on the same DNA, and then ultimately showing 30 different portraits showing 30 different, very different interpretations of how Chelsea might look based on this DNA data. Mm. And then the kind of follow-up to that piece is Watson's Ghost, and that's in the exhibition here. That's right. And this, in this piece, we actually can see 200 different variations on how James Watson, mm. co-discoverer of the DNA double helix, mm. might look based on his DNA. Mm. And so James Watson was the first person to ever make his DNA public. And what's this co-discoverer of DNA, but also kind of represents this very, uh, like he's a century old actually, mm. James Watson. And okay. so he represents the history of this field of molecular biology and also the problematics in that history. The origins of molecular biology are actually in eugenics. So there's a very troubling history to this field. And some of that has gotten carried with it into the contemporary, into the modern day. And so looking at, so Watson's ghost, the ghost of Watson's ghost is this kind of haunted past, mm -hmm. is this troubling history of racism and sexism and you know all of the ways that we have had prejudices against people mm. based on their biology. Mm. And so Watson's Ghost is about exploding that and, and showing that kind of even this person who in a way represents the most genetic reductionist ideas you can think of, that we can look at his DNA and see in him all different kinds of faces that would be potential reads that look very diverse. Indeed. And just out of curiosity, I mean, after having sort of created, I mean, drawn on this 200 images of what he might have looked at looked like were there any that sort of really reflected how he actually looks like based on photographic material yes i mean the, the so actual man when you're in the exhibition you'll see there's one uh one 3d printed portrait so we have a holographic video that shows these 200 different possibilities and then that we have two that are 3d printed that show kind of two opposite spectrums from oh, that selection great and one of them on the left i would say has some resemblance to him. Right. I mean, you know, you could look at that and think like, oh yeah, that could be, you know, reasonably looking somewhat similar to him. Not that it's a spitting image or anything, but, um, and then the other looks very different than he does. And so it shows this kind of spectrum. Okay, that's really interesting. And, you know, Heather, the, all the work, your work and your practice is always sort of revolved around science and humanity and technology. Maybe just tell us a little bit about how that how you started on that day as an artist. Yeah, absolutely. I've been working at this intersection of art and technology for a really long time. So since my university days, I got kind of sucked into that through an interest in conceptual art and through studying the work of people like John Cage. Mm -hmm. And I was really intrigued by these ideas of randomness and like opening up the process of an artwork to algorithmic processes. So letting go of control a bit, letting go of the human hand a bit, right. and letting technology play this kind of supplementary role mm. in creativity. And through that, I just kind of got sucked into computer programming, into studying AI. And so 20 years ago, already I was putting those things together and creating these early installations with AI right. and art, and also working with sound and kind of thinking philosophically about technology. Mm. And then kind of over the years that developed as I became more aware of the political implications mm. of, for example, facial recognition technologies, sure. 
So uh, about 15 years ago, I worked on a piece that was about showing uh, some of these kind of biases and politics within surveillance technologies, within uh, the AI technologies around speech recognition, face recognition. So there's some early works that I did around that, also around like thinking about creativity and whether artificial creativity is possible. Mm. It's really interesting that these topics are now really, really widely discussed. Yes. You know, just in the last year, this has blown sure. up across the news and that these things have really developed in a way that is causing a lot of people to ask these same yep. questions. Sure. So would you, I mean, in conclusion, would you say that your practice and your work um, wants people to question these, these very pressing sort of um, issues and things that concern humanity and privacy and that, you know, these, these sort of these areas is that would you say that or yes that absolutely, putting words in your absolutely. <laughs> so i try to be you know a few years ahead of the curve at least mm. to kind of forecast what's coming and get people to think about it before mm. it becomes so pervasive that there's nothing we can do yeah so this is really my goal is to get in there early do a bit of kind of future forecasting around what's coming mm. and get the public to be thinking about these things and seeing what's coming and preparing us to have an educated conversation about what it means and whether we want it or not. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Heather. That was, I mean, that's really, I think that's really, sh we shared, you shared a lot with me about, you know, about your practice and um, yeah, give, de definitely giving me a new perspective on how I might look at work. Thank well. you so much. Thanks, Thanks for having Heather. me. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Whaling Gallery podcast. We would like to thank Dr. Heather Dewey Hagborg for giving us the opportunity and the honor to showcase her work in our gallery. We hope to see you all soon and come visit us from the 18th of March 2023 to the 15th of April 2023. The show is open by appointment, so if you would like to visit, go to our website or even our Instagram for more information.